Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Diana George. She's from Oakland, California. She's just a powerhouse women investor. We cover so many different things with Diana today. One thing that was huge was she shared how she's able to take her power back. We, we allow, in a lot of ways, things to you know swarm in our heads and get overwhelmed and always sometimes feel like we're spiraling because we're women investors. We're doing a lot of things in our life. We wear a lot of hats, and she just gave some specific yet powerful strategies on how to really take your power back and feel empowered. I love that. She also gave a lot of information, more specifically about the data that is out there that we don't use in order for us to make sure we are purchasing the right thing and we are rehabbing or not over or under rehabbing a property. You cannot miss this episode and I'm so excited for you guys to meet her. Enjoy the episode, investors. Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Invest Her Show, where we're totally up to inspiring, empowering, helping women uh, live financially free and balanced lives. So we have a phenomenal guest on our show this week. Hi, Diana. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're really excited to jump into your story and uh, all, the, all the great things you're up to today and all the neat projects you're, you guys are involved in. Um, and as we, as we like to just, you know, thank everyone for listening. And we also like to share kind of what's up for us. So Andressa, what's, going on? what's going on? Well, what? Where, where do I begin? <laughs> what happened? But that's not the purpose of, of, of the podcast this week. Um, you know, we just got back, as you know, uh, we just got back from a really inspiring conference called She's Unstoppable. Yes. And you couldn't help just be inspired by being there, right? I don't think there was anyone in the audience. It was like 500 women that attended this conference, all for real estate agents, women real estate agents. And you just left there really feeling very inspired. And one of the things I took away, I took a lot, but one of the things I took away was how are you unstoppable? Because, you know, when we think of like being unstoppable, right, we can be like, okay, what does that look like? But it looks differently for everyone. Yeah. And we all get stopped in different ways. So something that's been coming up for me since we've been there last week is I've really been thinking like, where do I get stopped? You know, where, where, where do I like, where do I sometimes, am I not unstoppable? Right. Right. So, and, and one thing that I realized was sometimes when I'm moving into something new, you know, it's a new area for me. Things I'm, I'm confident I can roll with, I'm, I feel unstoppable. But the things that sometimes are new or unfamiliar to me, I start to make excuses, right? I start to like in my head go, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could do that. I'm like, hold on, hold on. Am I being unstoppable in this area? So that came up for me. So, you know, where do I get stopped? And then how do I become really unstoppable in all areas of life, right? So just wanted to share that. I think, you know, uh, you know women listening, where do you get stopped? Because we're all unstoppable in certain areas of our life. It's not like I'm not an unstoppable person. Well, you probably are unstoppable in something, something. On some level, right? But there are areas that we sometimes don't feel that energy. So what comes up for you? We all have a different, we all have different right. stuff we have to work through. So, so Liz, I'm going to put you on the spot, right? All right. 
Just saying. How much time do we have? <laughs> no, 30 seconds. Oh, okay. Whoa. But right. here's the thing. When that happens, when you feel that you're getting stuck, what did you find out? Or what's the solution? What's the trick that you got to get out of your own head? What have you been doing in order for you to continue growing? Yeah, that's a really good question. So what I thought, and it was actually on my, I ran this morning and it was on my run. I was thinking about something and then, and then I started to feel like I was stopping myself, right? Mm-hmm. So what I did in, in that moment was actually, and this is a great uh, tool for, for the women listening is, for the connect with the area that you are unstoppable. So you do have that confidence, right? So when you feel like you're getting stopped on something and in some area, you do have confidence that you can pull from other areas. Like, no, I, I did do, I did run a marathon. I trained for a marathon. Okay. I wasn't unstoppable. I was unstoppable there. So that same perseverance, energy, what what you have can be applied to that area that you're feeling stopped. Okay, I did that. How can I put that same energy into this thing that I think awesome. I don't know if I can do? So that's a great question. I didn't even I, we didn't even plan that. That's wonderful. <laughs> Look at us. Look at us. <laughs> oh geez. Well, thank you for Love that. Love that. Of course. Yeah. Thank you for that. It was a great, great question. I always appreciate your uh, your directness. So <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, so Diana, without further ado, really want to jump into your story. You have so many. Uh, we have so many awesome questions to ask you. Hopefully we get, we get to all of them. Um, so for you though, what, you know, let's, let's take it from, you know, what, you know, the beginning for you, what inspired you, what propelled you to get involved in, in real estate uh, investing? And I know you've been involved in a lot of different types of real estate businesses. So yeah. What, what inspired you to get involved? I, I started back in 03 and um, the thinking back then was, you know, I, I wanted to go into real estate, but I just didn't know at what capacity. Um, and when I started getting into, uh, real estate, the market had a huge crash, um, five years later. And at that point, you know, I, I built, I built a pretty good business. Um, I then moved on, I, you know, I started seeing a lot of companies do rehabs. Um, that was a big thing in Oakland at the time. Uh, there was waypoint homes, which is now this billion dollar, a hedge fund. Mm. And at the time they were just a $10 million fund and we were in competition with them. I was at a little $10 million fund named McKinley. And I just really, I just really love the idea of taking something old and dilapidated and then making it beautiful and then adding, having the neighbors walk up and thank you and adding that value to a neighborhood. Um, and then it just became something that just grew in me. I just, I wanted to make a business out of it and just, you know, continue growing, taking it to other levels like development. And so I, I just, I really just wanted to grow and like I, we joke around, like create the fempire. Um, so yeah. that's kind of where it, it's kind of where it all began. It's, I've always had this, I've always had this passion for real estate and especially on the investment side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, having parents that were immigrants too. I mean, that's something we always learned was, you know, real estate is where you, you make your money. And so I, you know, growing up, I was always kind of, it's kind of ingrained. Um, and then having a passion for it obviously helped because it doesn't feel like I'm working, even though, you know, I'm working like every day, all day. <laughs> and you had your own brokerage. So you started a brokerage yeah. in your early thirties. Tell us a little bit, a bit about that, because then that kind of propelled you to get involved in the role you're in. Now. Yeah. So when I left the equity group, I, um, 
I started a brokerage focused on investors because the number one thing at the time, um, I would go to these meetups. The largest meetup is by Dean Haga and Joe Metz out here. And their number one complaint was, is that agents didn't know how to pitch investment deals. Yeah. Um, you know, still. and it, it's still till this day. And yeah. unfortunately, you know, it's, it's not, you know, not, not all agents are intentional or malicious in this way, but some of them just honestly don't know how to run comps. Um, <laughs> and so, or they just don't know like, Oh, if I went over this freeway, now I'm in a completely different district. And now the houses are going up 200 grand or they're below 200,000. So there's a lot of little factors when we underwrite files. Um, but with the brokerage, I focused it on solely on investors mm. and then it kind of grew into retail market, like listing other people's homes and buyers. But I, that, that kind of exceeded my wildest dreams. You know, we were just a small little brokerage of five of us and then we grew to 36 and then wow. we were creating our own inventory by, we became the investor real, real estate group. We would just get phone calls from investors in the neighborhood saying, Hey, if you find something, let me know. Back in those days, uh, between 2011 and, you know, 2016, I would say you MLS was where you found all your deals. Mm -hmm. So, mm. and then we just kind of, um, we just kind of grew from there and, and, um, I was approached to sell a brokerage, which I did cause I really wanted to focus on my development company. Cause that's truly where it, my end game was always focused on. So you grew from five people to 36 people. Yeah. Okay. And, and the other thing you said, so that's an interesting conversation. That would be awesome to, 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 just to, to, you know, get into for a moment here too, in terms of building teams. Also, you mentioned the, the idea of a niche. And I, I think often people, you know, I know Andres and I, when we started our, this podcast, right? So we were, we were like, we got to really focus on what, who do we want to serve? And to your point, you, it sounded like that was a recipe for your success in terms of really getting focused. It sounded like it grew into other things, but you started and really focused in on this niche of investors. So early on, did you really stay committed to that? Did you say, okay, this is our niche. This is who we want to serve. Then this is it. Or did you start to open that up a little bit? I was, I'm curious to hear that because I think there's a big conversation out there around, you know, and that could be applying to so many different aspects of real estate investing around niches and focus. So I'm curious, how did you navigate that, especially when you were growing and you clearly did something very successfully to grow five times your business? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so funny because as human beings, we get so distracted and we just kind of, our brains go everywhere. And um, my primary focus was, I knew that's something I was good at. And then I taught it to my agents. And then it was something where we, we really kind of marketed to that specific niche. And then, you know, agents, some agents love the investor stuff and other agents were like, yeah, this is not really my thing. And they kind of went to retail market. So we had, we had three different revenue streams coming in versus most brokerages, just working with your typical listing mm -hmm. and your buyer. We were we were creating our own inventory because our whole thing was if we find you the home, you have to give it back to us at a full 6%. And a lot of times these investors were so grateful from the margins they were making, yeah. they would, they would send us bonus checks. And <laughs> I, I mean, it was like, wow, really? <laughs> so I, I really, the, the number one thing I do when I try to like really zoom in and focus on something is um, I'm kind of old school and it's, it's cathartic for me, but I love to write. 
So I'll, I'll write my business plan and then I type it out. Um, so I kind of do it old school that way. And I feel when you write it, it just really ingrains it in your subconscious. Mm -hmm. And as we all know, your subconscious controls 90% of what you do on a daily basis. So I always try to plant those positive seeds um, in, in the subconscious. Um, another book that really helped me out was Simon Sinek, Know Your Why, which has now mm -hmm. become so popular. When I first heard about him, um, I saw him on a TED Talks and I just, I, I loved how he kind of went backwards. So he took his ultimate goal and then slowly went backwards. Like, how am I going to get to this goal? But went backwards doing that. And I love that because mm -hmm. I tend to be a big picture person. They say there's two kinds of people, right? You have your big picture people and your detail people. And I tend to be big picture when I think of things, but then how do I get detailed? And so right. that really helped me focus on the details of how do I get to that point? Mm. Yeah. Well, there's so many questions that just pop on my head <laughs> while you're talking. Awesome. And then I was like, Oh my gosh, which one should I, should I get first? But I think that where, where I'm going to go is just, so as Liz mentioned, we went to this conference for real estate agents and a lot of people on our Facebook community were asking, like, why are you going to a conference for real estate agents? You guys are investors, developers, whatever. And we're like, we feel that there is a gap in between the real estate agent agent community and the investor community. And they don't communicate. They just like well, I don't know your area and vice versa. I was extremely surprised to talk to so many amazing ladies there that are doing great things. And they're saying, well, I get all those leads. And I was like, what, what do you do with that? Well, I just list them or I was like, well, number one, I think that that's great that you can list them, but what are the other possibilities, right? You can talk to us investors that will be like ongoing clients and you can have that, you know, income coming in. You can partner up with, with so many investors. I mean, you guys bring so much to the table and we were not understanding why they were not seeing all those other possibilities. And, and, you guys are just saying that you were able to grow your, your business because you guys had different types of streams of income. But my point is what was stopping them to see it? And I think that you made the connection about your unconscious, right? Yeah. A lot of them don't even cross their mind that they can invest themselves, that they, there are other possibilities out there. So for your mindset perspective, when you start growing your business and then you did the transition to the investment side, what were the challenges that you were facing during that time? Because we were so new, um, I didn't have a portfolio at the time. I just had the portfolio from my previous job. Um, and so it's scary because you're asking people to trust you and come in and a lot of people got burned because a lot of agents can run comps in a way that is manipulative yeah and and makes it look good but at the end of the day 
and, and back then investors, I don't think are as savvy as they are now. Now there's so many tools and there's so many educational products back then, you know, um, it wasn't as, it wasn't as, um, mainstream as it is now. We didn't have all those shows. So I think one of the things that definitely, you know, helped us was, uh, what I was saying earlier is Dean and Joe have probably the, one of the biggest, um, investor meetups here in the Bay area. And I reached out and, um, spoke with Dean and I found them a house in Berkeley and, um, it ended up making them a hundred grand, but it, it was pulling teeth in the beginning. Cause they didn't know me from Adam and they're like, we don't know who this woman is. And you know, she, all we know is she's starting a real estate company focused right. on investors. But once I was able to prove myself and then send them more deals, they were, they have a very abundant mentality and they shared with me with their, um, they started sharing me with their network and then I started doing speaking engagements and then it just kind of exploded. Um, I had agents on my, I started rehabbing myself and then people were like, okay, well she's a rehabber and she's a real estate agent. So she totally gets it. Yeah. And I think that's something that helps tremendously too, because people can relate to you. Um, it's kind of, you know, I remember when I started out, it was hard for buyers to work with me because I would, I didn't own a home, you know, like I was a 25 year old, you know, I didn't own a home at the time. So it's okay. Well, you don't have, you don't own a house. So how are you going to help us buy a house? And some people do have that mentality. Mm -hmm. They, they yeah. just do. Mm -hmm. And investors are a little bit more rigid in that thinking. Um, and I think what was really cool is watching my agents on my team start investing and start rehabbing their own homes. And nice. when the community starts seeing that, they're like, okay, wow, nice. you guys know how to pick, you know how to pick a house. So it got to the point where we were getting bombarded, which was a beautiful thing. Um, but it does blow my mind. You're right. There is still a major disconnect. And that was something that I saw. I was like, how do I bridge this gap? And it it, like I said, it exceeded my wildest dreams, but it's still something the investor community craves till this day. Yeah. You know, um, <clears throat> another piece with our marketing is when my agents did mailers, if the people wouldn't, you know, want to list their property on the retail market, then we could say, okay, well, we can find, you know, we can buy it from you. Like we would advertise as if our agency was going to buy their home. And if they didn't want to sell to us because they thought, well, investors are low ballers. Well, guess what? We have a broker license. We can also list your house. So right. it played, it, you know, that's the beauty of being an agent in this industry is you could play on different, different avenues. If it doesn't work out on the rehab side, okay, then, you know, I'll list your home. So there was just so many ways to make money. Um, and it's, it was so many ways to make our clients money, which was exciting too. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you really had them in mind, right? This is your customer. You wanted to serve the investor. You were investors yourselves. And that, you know, that really sounded like one of the best things you did in terms of really serving that, serving that market. Curious though, as we thinking about just a quick transition into renovating homes, right? Cause you were mentioning that a little bit and how you made your, one of your clients, you know, hundred grand or you did, but you know, the process and certainly you helped make that happen. You know, a lot of people will talk about over-improving. Well, they don't talk about it, but I think it's a conversation that needs to be talked about. Yes. Is the idea of like over-improving or under-improving yeah. property. And obviously it depends on, are you in a luxury, you know, is it a luxury style home? Is it a rental grade? Is it, what area are you in? There's so many different elements that make it make this 
okay, what, what to do and how to make sure you don't put too much or too little into a, into a, a renovation. So I'm curious though, because you're also in charge of acquisitions for your investment company. I mean, you probably get this and you probably get this better than most people. So I'm curious, how do you assess, how can, you know, the, the women listening assess to ensure they're not, you know, spending too much or spending too little, spending the right amount on what they need to accomplish. And obviously there's a lot of if ands or buts, market, yeah. all that kind of stuff. You're in California, we're on the East Coast, what, what have you. But I'm curious, how do, you, how do you ensure for your own projects, the properties that you renovated and you have been doing, how do you make sure that that happens? So, um, you know, I love that question because I'm asked that all the time. And it, it's so simple. I just go on MLS and I look at the data. And I, I think we underestimate how much data is on MLS. Um, you know, when I, if, if I'm in a, for example, if I'm in a luxury market, um, I already know what I have to spend on. You know, I, I have to put a Miele or a Bosch dishwasher in that house, or I have to put a sub-zero refrigerator. If I'm in a mid-grade home, I can, I like to do LGs. If I'm in a lower end rental, I'll do like Whirlpool or Amana. Um, a lot of times you see people, like you said, they overspend or they underspend. I always look at MLS data, for example. So if I'm looking to buy a home in a certain market area, like the ones we just, the, uh, like, you know, the three houses we just purchased, for example, um, I'll look at the comps and I'll say, okay, why did this house sell 150,000 like over everyone else? Why did this house set a precedent or break a record? And then I'll look at why other houses have just been sitting and sitting on a market when in Oakland right now, our market is, is it like went back up again. We, we went through a little bit of a lull and now mm. it's, it's white hot again. And it's because we've had four companies out here in San Francisco say they're going to IPO. And then of course, interest rates went down. So it's kind of created market hype, but regardless of, you know, buyer seller market, I always want to know, okay, what did this house do that they got 200,000 over asking or 150,000 over asking or in other markets, maybe it's 50 or 60K. And so I just look at market data. I don't try to reinvent the wheel. So yeah. if I see, oh, okay, they're doing these like um, artistic tiles now in the bathroom or, oh, okay, they're doing this open concept or, oh, they're doing double sliders to the backyard. How can I do that in my home? And, um, I just, I don't want to reinvent the wheel, but I try to do things in a way where, okay, they obviously know their buyer. And so when you're an investor and you're rehabbing, you have to know who your buyer is in that market. If, if I'm in an area like, like for luxury, for example, too, Atherton is the number one zip code and the most expensive zip code in the country. So, you know, when agents, sometimes when agents list homes there, they do like these very flashy open houses. Whereas right now we have a luxury project in Hillsborough, which is more, they're not flashy at all. They're actually very to themselves and they don't want any of that flash. So it's, it's really knowing who your buyer is and how to kind of um, appeal to that marketplace. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with, with that. I always tell people I am not, I'm not a interior designer. So I get a, that's not my strength. However, my properties 
just look good because I look what worked for other people. And why, why spend time reinventing the wheel? Don't get me wrong. If we're talking a luxury or a, a high price property, I'll customize, I'll spend more time on, on, you know, the, the stuff and picking different types of tile. But I was telling people I use the same paint forever. And I get the same results <laughs> over and over again. They say, oh, it feels so calm. I was like, yes, tranquil, <laughs> calm. If you could see my, my video right now, you will see this is the paint on the, my wall that I use <laughs> for everywhere. So you're making such a good point. Yeah. I think we have so much data that people don't idealize and don't use it mm -hmm. for his own advantage. And you can calculate all, all your costs like right there. So for your, for your, you know, development deals, one thing that you're talking about is like over improving and under improving for the acquisition part. I'm always curious to understand what are your criteria? What do you look at in order to qualify a property and say, Hey, this is a deal for me or no, this is a, not a deal for me. And let me explain to you why, what are your criteria? Um, yeah, again, it's like, depends on the neighborhood, but the number one thing I see, um, so like if you're in an area, like an urban area, for example, versus a suburb, um, you know, urban areas are going to be louder, but still, you know, obviously people do not like freeways. You know, I, I stay away from freeways. Yes. I stay away from electrical towers. Um, I've advised other investors to stay away from electrical towers, even if they're in these really high-end neighborhoods like Palo Alto. And I, just, I tell them, you're not going to make your money back. Trust me. I also stay uh, away from cemetery. I don't know you. But. Oh, yeah. You know, it's funny because, um, again, yeah, you try to get the largest pool of buyers you can. Yeah. And it's funny. I, we did one house near a cemetery, and the mm. people that ended up buying it were <laughs> ER nurses. Okay. They just, interesting like yeah they're like oh we don't care about that stuff okay. but yeah that was a that was a lesson learned so i'm like okay we're never buying near cemetery again <laughs> um, and so you know it's the other thing is like um in terms of so that's like economic obsolescence right so in mm -hmm. terms of like homes i look at like okay i need a backyard especially when you're in these luxury neighborhoods they want to see at least half an acre so if you end up buying a house with 10,000 square feet of lots, chances are they're not going to buy your home. Um, the other thing I do is I'll talk to like a top producing agent in that neighborhood and I'll be like, what do you, what do you see a lot? Like what do your buyers like to see? And I think that's important too, because a lot of them who are top producing are either holding their own open houses because they want to have their hand, you know, their finger on the pulse. And so these people really know as well, like what you should go after and not go after. Um, so I tend to try to go after homes where if I walk it with my architect or my structural where I can do open layouts, because that's really important in our market. If, if you have kind of a compartmentalized home, buyers aren't really big on that. Um, you know, uh, in here in California, I don't know about uh, Pennsylvania, but here, here in California, everyone's about the green. You know, we want the tankless water heater and we want, yes. you know, the insulated pipes and, it, you know, all these like, <laughs> you know, green things. So that's a really big thing out here in California that we focus on. And it's good. I mean, it's good to have that. Um, 
sometimes it can get taken a little too far, but for the most part, you know, it's a good thing to have out here. Um, but yeah, those are kind of the things I focus on with homes is how can, can I, functionality is big. And if I can change the functionality, a lot of times it's not even worth it because it ends up being so expensive. Um, especially from a structural standpoint that it's not worth it to us. Understood. Uh, fa foundation and all that stuff doesn't scare me. It's just, it's really boils down to lot size, functionality. Um, yeah, I think, and you know, as long as the, the pest report's not in the six figures, you know, we, we will go after it. In terms of price, right? Um, some, some people use different formulas. Sometimes I agree with the formula. Sometimes it doesn't apply because I know the market and is just different. But do you use um, any specific percentage that on, on the purchase price and then, you know, you calculate your, your rehab, but do you, what are your criteria in terms of purchase rehab? Your rehab does not exceed the purchase price or you really don't care or how do you connect all the dots? So I, I do it based on my spreadsheet, which I pretty much live off of those. But how I, how I run my numbers is, I, I guess the easiest way to explain it is I want to see, nowadays I need to be more realistic because when I started, I was seeing 100, 110% of my money back. Nowadays, it's more like, you know, 60, 70, 80% of your money back, which is great. Um, I do tend to be very conservative and that's why a lot of people out here trust me because they know, um, they know if I say no to a deal, it's probably because she's way too conservative or this is like a bad, bad deal. Um, the other thing, like some investors will look at their spreadsheets and they look at based on not what their money back is, but what the actual numbers show. And so if the actual numbers, if we look at it from that standpoint, then I want to see at least a 17% or higher, which means I will receive 60 to 70% cash on cash. But with a lot of investors and, and um, a lot of my, you know, colleagues out here, they, they're happy with 10% and making, you know, 30, 40, 50% on their cash, which is great. I'm just a little bit more weary because this market just seems so bizarre to me. Um, yeah. The fact that it's been going for so long, which is kind of unprecedented in our time. So, I mean, I hope it continues, but at some point, you know, we have to be real about cycles and, yeah. you know, so I try to stay in things that are where I think, okay, like worst case scenario, there's a 25% market hit. I'm still going to be in the green. Whereas when we had the lull here in the Bay Area, I know investors who lost, you know, six figures. Wow. And that yeah. is my worst nightmare. So the Bay Area is very volatile. So, you know, you're making a lot of money, but you will definitely lose a lot of money. So I, I try to be very, I have my numbers very padded, really, okay. really padded. Probably annoying to most people, to be honest, but because, <laughs> you know, you miss out on deals when you're that conservative too. I was just going to yeah. say that what you're saying makes, makes a lot of sense because I think it's something in a lot of people's back of their minds right now in terms of acquisition, right? They want to keep, you know, the ball rolling. They want to buy property, but they have this thought. I mean, I've had the thought too, like, you know, worst case scenario, what, what does this look like if the market, if the market crashes or kind of repeat 2008, 2009. So when you do, when you, when you underwrite your deals, 
you are underwriting your deals as though, like, do you actually put a line item in there? Like, okay, you know, do you go back to those, that year, right? 2008. I know we, you know, Andressa and I were, at, you know, really Andressa was, was the helm of really evaluating this major project we were going to get into. And she, you know, I know, you know, you did a lot of research on Andressa on that. Yeah. And you, were, you were like, this is how this area fared during the 08, 09 crash. But that's really a conversation that people are having right now, right? Because that's a, yes. especially if you're taking on, on risk and this is like not just one deal, this is going to be like 20 to 30, you know, you know, yeah. new, new home construction. So for you, is that part of some of your kind of conservativeness? Okay. So you're like, okay, how did this area fare? And I think that's something we all need to be doing in the, in the yeah. beginning. If you're buying property right now and you're renovating it, you should see, you know, um, walk, go walk, back, go back. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. It's, that's a big thing for me. Like, um, one of the reasons we went luxury is because when I was looking at, uh, Hillsborough and the other luxury markets during the crash, I mean, they, you look at every chart and it looks like, you know, um, I know I'm from California, but it looks like, you know, an earthquake, you know, it's like up and down and up and down. Right. Then you go to an area like a luxury market and it's just this barely this little line kind of going Mm. downwards and you're like, wow, okay. So this didn't really affect Mm. them at all. And a lot of it's because these people have money. Okay. So that's, that's one. Um, the second thing is, you know, we're also switching gears to kind of go multifamily because, um, you know, God forbid if there is a, if there is a crash again, um, at least with a multifamily, you know, I have all these people paying my rent. And if, you know, two or three people in that building lose their jobs, I still have all these other people, you know, paying. Whereas with single family homes, and this was a big thing in California, I knew people who own 15, 16 single family homes. Those people lost their jobs it was impossible to get anyone to rent at that time. And they foreclosed on 15 or 16 or 20 homes. And so that's a lesson I learned during the crash too, by watching other investors is I know, I know a lot of investors who do incredible with single family home investment. I I just, for me, I I think it's a little scary. I'd rather go multifamily if I'm going to be a landlord. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, definitely look at the charts from when the market crashed because you'd be shocked kind of the data you get. I mean, in San Francisco, for example, the housing market during 08 went down 27%, but then the condo market only went down 17%, mm. which would be the opposite of anyone's thinking, right? But yeah. um, when you're in big cities, I mean, that's, you know, your people don't want to commute and that's the opportunity to kind of move into that city. And so they went for condos. Wow. So it's kind of neat to look at that. I just, I just love data so much because we all get wrapped like, you know, with the stock market and real estate, people get wrapped up in emotion and emotion doesn't tell you anything. It it just, it's fear, you know, it's fear-based or it's, it's greed based. So we get super excited and it's like, no, 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 let's just, let's just stick with the bottom line. Let's just look at these numbers because they tell you everything you need to know. It's complete truth. and fact, there's no hiding anything. there. Exactly. It's, it's a data there that, you know, will either tell you, Hey, red flag or go ahead. Green light. Yeah. There's no, there's no emotion. You know, Um, I've had investors like I've mentored who called me when they're, they're like two months from their project ending and they're calling me and they're on the ledge and they're like, yeah, I'm going to lose money. Why did I do this? I'm like, time out, time out, time out. Open your computer. Look at your spreadsheet. What does your spreadsheet say? 
okay. All right, you're right. It says I'm gonna make X amount of dollars. Okay. Why are you getting emotional? Why are you freaking out? <laughs> you're doing everything you can to, you know. It's just it's nor it's natural. People just get so wrapped up. They can't help themselves. Yeah, and absolutely. And I think that also when when you have private investors into the deal and you want to make them whole, you know, you respect that, you want to build that relationship. You kind of like you get overwhelmed, but you gotta if you got to the deal, like, and you start questioning a lot of things, maybe a little bit more due diligence and homework should have been done before. And that's why yes. I'm totally like conservative when, when it comes down to getting into it, because I want to play worst case scenario, worst case scenario. I'm still good. Okay, let's go. And as you said, I had to say no to a lot of other deals, which is painful and it really sucks Yeah, because you're like, Ah, right. But you know, it is what it is. Other deals are going to come and then we're going to move forward. One thing that I want to kind of transition with you is that you said that you love real estate so much that it becomes, you don't feel that you are working. And yeah. listen, I always talked about this quote unquote balance and we're not talking about, okay, something linear or something equal between um, okay. personal and professional. We're not talking about something equal 50-50. Balance for me might look different than what balance for other people. And we respect that. For you, how do you balance things out and fulfill, you know, your personal needs, your soul, and what you care about? I, um, you know, I love that Liz was saying she went running this morning. Like for me, exercise, I exercise a lot. Uh, It clears my mind. It takes away that angst, that anxiety, that stress, um, you know, because it's, it's intense when you have, I mean, currently I have about 8 million in acquisitions and a million, over a million dollars of investor money. So, you know, um, there's some nights like, you know, sometimes I, some nights I sleep like a baby and other nights I'm always worried, you know? And so how do I, how do I combat that? Um, because it's not, it's not so much the day-to-day -day work. It's, it's that when you're at nighttime, when you're winding down and you're thinking about everything on your plate. Yeah. And that's why I love my, that's why I love writing things out. Because then when it's swimming in your mind, it's so big, but then when you put it on paper, you're like, oh, it's just the task I can take over. Mm -hmm. Um, And exercise has been really, I mean, um, I'm really into spin. Um, I like intense things. So, yeah. you know, spin class, I love lifting really heavy. Um, so mm. it, for me, it's like kind of this meditative. Good for you. Yeah, I love it. Like it's, um, I actually just started up again two months ago, which has been great. Um, and then, you know, um, I, I think it's easy to lose yourself. Yeah. You know, I, you know, in, since October, I've lost about 26 pounds and it's because mm -hmm. I just got so wrapped up in, and it, it happens to all of us women. It happens to everyone, period. It just, you just get wrapped up in your head and you've got to come out of it. And so exercise has really been something that said, Hey, you know, um, it just kind of clears your mind. I, another thing I love doing is just spontaneous road trips or, hanging out with my girlfriends or guy friends and, you know, grabbing a margarita and some tacos. It's just those little things in life. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's just simple things. Um, also a huge animal lover. So, you know, I love to help animals and um, rescue them and take care of them. So those are kind of things that balance me out a little bit. And of course, family, uh, most important things, 
having a loving, supporting family is huge. Great. Uh, Dan, I love what you're saying. Um, the, you know, it's funny because I haven't been, I haven't worked out for the last few days. My son has been sick and my daughter's had things. It's just been, just, yeah, it's just been, I can't just, you know, can't go to, can't just been hard the last few days. And I'm like, I need to go do something this morning. So I got up extra early and which I normally do. And I usually work, but I'm like, no, I need to go run this morning. And it's funny you're saying about the, the, what's in our head because I think that stops a lot of us, right? We have a lot swarming out in our head. I, at least I do. And, and, and then I go to bed thinking about it. I wake up thinking about it. I know Andres has been really diligent with meditating, which I do and I don't, and I go on and off. So for yeah. you, <laughs> but for you, when you have all this stuff swarming in your head, I think that's a common thing, especially for women. Um, I know men have their own stuff, but um, we're not really serving men. We're serving women with our podcast. So when all this stuff is swarming in your head and you write it out, do you have anything that you do, like a strategy? Do you just write everything that's in your head? Do you, uh, do you make a to-do list? Do you, I don't know. I'm curious. What do you do to actually release all the monkey mind, they call it, in your head? Because I think yeah. that's very, that stops a lot of us, you know, and it's, and it's always going to be with us. So I'm curious what, what you do when you say you write it out. I'm curious what you I, do. I know the number one thing that like, it's like what stops us, right? And a lot of times when I talk to other women, it's they're feeling overwhelmed. And then that could make them feel depressed or sad. Um, and so I think with me, what I've done to combat that is, again, I, I do think when it's swimming in your head and we go to bed with it, we wake up with it, like you said, how do we combat that? And so a lot of times I, I do love to do lists. I know it sounds crazy, but honestly, when you, when you have this thing swimming in your head and you're letting it swim there for so long, you're giving it power. And mm. why do we, why do we give this thing power? It's, it's not, we're, we're way better than it and we can totally take it down. I mean, um, it's kind of what you were saying in the beginning. It's like, you know, we have this track record of always doing things a certain way. You just have to look at, we lose confidence when we let these things take us over. And so I know it sounds crazy, but I literally write to-do lists. And then I go, okay, that is a lot. I'm going to, I'm going to validate that. That is a lot. I acknowledge that, but you know what? I can tackle this, you know, I mean, look at my track record, look what I've done. And, you know, um, I think a lot of women just need to look at what they've accomplished in their life, whether it's a marathon or, you know, they were promoted or, you know, they're, they're, they're a mom or, you know, whatever it is, it's, you have to look at yourself and think, I got this. And when you start checking it off, I mean, I like to, I like to put lines, strike the lines through it. It's like, okay, one down, 10 to go. The other thing is I always tell them, I always whisper this in my mind. It's like day by day day by day. You're not going to take over the world in a day. And I'm so impatient in type A that I constantly am like, I, I need to be doing more. Why am I so stuck? Why am I so stagnant? I need to be doing more. Oh my God, what's my problem? So-and-so is doing this and so-and-so is doing that. Yeah. Like, and you go on Facebook and you're like, oh my God, you built 15 businesses by the age of 30 and you have nine. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like shit. You know, that's great. I feel like I'm useless. That's awesome. When I when I yeah. get my time, and I I'm always like, okay, I accomplished my to do list. Now I have this quiet time, and then I, the next the next thought is, what am I missing? I should be producing something. <laughs> this is a freaking waste of my time. Why am I not doing something? Other people are doing millions of things. Right. Why Why am like 
relaxing here. Yeah. This is like a constant like struggle. It's just like, oh geez. Yeah, I mean it's um we I think comparing ourselves to others is the worst thing we can do. And then some of us, sometimes, you know, I know some of us can be overcritical of ourselves. And I think sometimes that can act as rocket fuel, but I think other times it can be very debilitating depending yeah. on your inner monologue. Um, inner monologue. I think it's, yeah, I, I, you know, I think it's good to acknowledge, it's good to acknowledge what you need to get done, but don't beat yourself up about it. Cause we have no idea about other people's backgrounds, you know, Maybe they built those 15 businesses because they were a trust fund baby and they didn't have, they didn't care about risk or money or, right, right. we just never know what people's backgrounds are. Or I'll meet people who are incredibly successful, but they, you know, they lost everything or they don't have anything yeah. or they just yeah. have a very humble kind of idea about life. And yeah. um, we just never know we just never know anyone's full story. We just kind of see, like you said, we see this image on Facebook and then we think, Oh, why am I? And I always say Facebook is the worst place to look. <laughs> yeah, it is. No, you're absolutely right. I love what you're saying. I love that, you know, you said a lot of really, really helpful things, but taking your power back and by getting stuff out of our head, we take, how do we take the power back to ourselves? How do we get the power back? Right. And I think that's a great question to leave the women listening to this is, you know, every day, you know, we, we, we allow our power to be released and not, not a good way releasing mean like release to the world, but like we just allow to give it up versus taking it back. And I, I love what you're saying, like getting out of your head, right. I mean, as simple as the writing the to-do list, there's so many things on time management and life management, but yeah. literally getting it out of your head and being like, I got this day by day is, is like, you know, if you do that, you're going to feel better, you know? So awesome, yeah. awesome stuff. Um, Diana, we can probably talk to you for like another couple hours. This is amazing. <laughs> but um, we want to be mindful of our time as we all are. But where can the women listening to our, our show learn more about you and all the great uh, development projects and work you're doing? And you just have a really neat business. So how can the ladies learn more about you? Oh, thank you. So um, you, can, you can like check out our current projects and before and afters at uh, www.investwithartemis.com. And then we have... Um, at Artemis uh, Investments is our IG ha Instagram handle. And then we have a Facebook page, Artemis Investments. So um, yeah, but our website definitely has, you know, blogs and up-to-date projects and before and afters and people love that. Um, awesome. So yeah, we have, and then with our, our next project that we're breaking ground in three weeks, we're going to be having a video crew kind of following us from start mm -hmm. to finish. That's going to nice. be fun to kind of see that transformation. Yeah. I love that's that. That's going to be fun. Yeah. Great. And all of this information you can find on our show notes. Now we're going to transition to our fabulous three questions. Are you ready, Diana? Yes. All right. <laughs> the first one is. Ready or not? <laughs> I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> the first one is what's the most transformational book you have ever read? Uh, definitely start with why with by Simon Sinek. Love that. Yeah. I love that book. The second question, what's the most powerful routine you do to create a financially free and balanced life? Uh, definitely has to be, um, exercising. I think that just, uh, balances my head, clears my head. I feel like when you burn out, you're no good to anyone, including yourself. And so that's what keeps me from burning out. Love that. 
And which woman, famous or not, has inspired you the most? Uh, you're right. That one was hard. <laughs> <laughs> I think definitely my mom, because she came here, like, not even knowing the language. Um, Where did she, she raise my? She came from uh, Baghdad, Iraq, and they okay. were... They were Christians, and when Saddam took power, they left. My dad actually proposed to her in like a letter four years later, and then wow. she flew to the states, married my dad. Uh, my brother and I were born in Chicago, hmm. but she her whole thing was like she wanted to raise us. She didn't want strangers raising us. And um, I think you know I have I have friends who are moms now that they love being at home with their kids, and others of them are like, oh God, no, um, I need to go to work. <laughs> So it just depends, you know, but she was one yeah. of those that just really liked being with us. And then I don't know why. Um, then when we got into elementary, like late elementary school, like fifth and fourth grade, she took ESL classes. Wow. And then, um, which is English as a second language. Yes. Yeah. And then, um, did, did AA, got her AA and wow. then went, went back to uh, cosmetology school and then got um, a medical mm. license doing like uh, estheticianing. And now she's mm. owned her business for 20 years. Wow. Uh, um, so she was just for me as a girl growing up, like, wow, you know, just um, incredibly fierce, lo very loving. I always call her the lion because she's a very loving mom, but she's also very, you know, like don't mess with my kids type of thing. Um, yeah. Even when my brother and I were wrong, she'd stick up for us in public, but then behind the scenes, you know, we'd get a good old smack. So, um, <laughs> but you gotta, I, I admire and love that about her. So, um, I definitely she was very inspiring for me. Um, and also my, my aunt was very inspiring too. She's, she's pretty incredible. Um, so yeah, I just, I've been blessed to have like really strong women in my family. Um, Awesome. And then I guess like, you know, and then every day just watching women like you guys and uh, Anna Myers and, um, you know, even in our own community, just it, you know, uh, Kathy Fetke, like um, th that to me is like very, that's incredibly inspiring to me. So, cause you know, we don't see a lot of women kind of trailblazing, which is in our industry. And it's really cool to start seeing more and more of that. Absolutely. Yeah. We interview both of them and we're going to add their, their link for yeah, that's a great idea on the show notes. Yeah, because they are just so inspiring people. Absolutely, yeah, awesome. yeah. So it's really cool. Well, we appreciate you so much, Diana, being on our show and sharing your amazing insight and just opening up to all the women listening and, and to us. And I, I obviously always love to take notes because I always learn things. So I'm like, take your power back. So that is what my big takeaway is amongst all the other wonderful things you said. So thank you for being on our show and thanks for being Thank here. you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. You guys are great. Good. Awesome. <laughs> thanks so much, Diana. All right. You guys take care. Have a great week. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. bye. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community, and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share it with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.